Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Friday, July 23rd, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles in Nehemiah chapter 8. Chapter 7, we just got through with a lot of numbers. A lot of the people came back, which is quite exciting as you look at this whole wonderful storyline of the people leaving the homeland, temples destroyed, the wall is destroyed, now they are finally coming back. What are they going to do? Obviously, they find the book of the law and do what we all should do hear the word of god and ironically they learn something and may that be true for us today as we know the gifts are ready ready for you a special thanks to our friends at lutheran heritage foundation for your support of thy strong word visit lhfmissions.org for more information lhfmissions.org to help us to be strengthened by god's word we welcome pastor dustin beck of holy cross lutheran in warda texas pastor beck welcome to thy strong word yes sir thank you so much for having me now pastor beck you're kind of uh uh how do you call it you're a regular on other programs a well-known person on kfuo but this is our first time together so can you introduce yourself your family and the work of the saints at holy cross yeah, I can do that. I don't know how well known I am, but uh, thank you again for having me. Now, um, so um, I'm a husband to Chelsea, father to Dylan Weston and Hank, and I've been serving here at Holy Cross in Warda for uh, close to two years now. I've uh, been a pastor for about 10 years, and uh, we just, uh, we've, we lived in uh, Corpus Christi for about eight and a half years, and then uh, we got here uh, just like I said, uh, back in 19. And uh, we've loved living in the country. We live in a, a rural congregation. Uh, I was telling you right before we came on the air, I think we've got about 100 people in our small community. Um, but I've never seen them all in one place at one time. So uh, we're pretty sparse, pretty spread out. And yet we've got people that come from all over the place on Sunday mornings. You know, we uh, some Sundays we see as many as 150, 160 folks. Uh, so it's just a, a well-kept secret out here, right in, smack dab in the middle of Texas. And uh, it's a fantastic place. We've got a, a small uh, LCMS high school on our campus. Um, and so I have the privilege of teaching uh, underclassmen religion uh, there at Faith High School. And uh, we just got a lot of other great things going on around here you know that is great that is great to hear and so is is faith high school a, a collaboration of other association with other yes. churches Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's seven churches actually uh, okay. that uh, are holding this high school together, and it's only the, it's entering its fifth year, so it's a brand new LCMS high school. Just had their first graduating class, and uh, you know it's the future's bright for this place because a lot of the folks that were instrumental in getting the high school started, uh, they had kids at that point uh, who were in third or fourth grade, and so they're just now getting ready to send their kids here, and so the attendance and enrollment is just. Um, it's just blowing up over the next couple of years. We're really thrilled. Well, and that's a good reminder for us. Yesterday, oh, excuse me, yesterday on Sunday, uh, I went to an ordination of one oh, of our yeah. pastors in Western Minnesota, and it was just, it was just really a lot of fun to be part of. And and one of the the prayers that we have is that you know the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. And that's what we pray for our churches, and we pray that you know continuously, but also to pray for good Christian. Um, theologically sound teachers to to go to our schools because what a powerful 
reality is that when a teacher has a worldview of understanding what the Word of God says, Christ at the center, as we say here in KFUO, and to be able to mentor and mold and pray and care for these young people, what a wonderful message that is. So I encourage our listeners to pray, not only for pastors to be in churches as a curate of souls, but also our teachers to teach the faith and to mentor and to care for our young people. So that I encourage our listeners to pray for Faith Lutheran and all high schools and schools 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 across our country and our world so any any thoughts on that as you as a pastor of a right next to a high school lutheran high school amen (laughs) (laughs) yes uh please uh, indeed continue to pray to the lord of the harvest that he would uh raise up workers for his uh for his fields absolutely well pastor as we begin to search the scriptures today can you begin our time in prayer I'd love to. Let us pray. Uh, Blessed Lord, as you have caused all holy holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, uh, just as uh, Israel did at the reading of the law by Ezra the priest. And grant that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Beck, we just got done with chapter seven, which a lot of numbers, just like going back to the book of numbers and the people (laughs) have come back. So the wall is finished. I mean, what other background? Everything happens in a context. And so what's the background and other highlights you want to share that will help us out this morning? Right. So I'm glad that I'm in chapter eight with you and not in chapter seven, because like you said, <laughs> chapter seven uh, is kind of just like a uh, it's like a, a building supply list. It's like the big, long list of who came and how much they gave towards the building project and everything like that. It's all the stuff that they used to print in church bulletins, right, that they don't print in church bulletins anymore. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, well, thanks be to God. We're in chapter yeah, eight. Yeah, thanks be to God. Right. So the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah. Um, are all about the uh, return to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the wall. Um, This is kind of what Nehemiah is remembered for. This is, um, I mean, that's the distinction between the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra, you know, he's the priest. Nehemiah's, I mean, he's, he's, He's kind of he's more in political leadership, right? I mean, he was a cupbearer for Artaxerxes, the the king over in in, in Persia, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And so he gets the permission to come over and to rebuild the wall um, around Jerusalem, so that Jerusalem can again be protected uh, from its enemies. Um, and so we usually think of Nehemiah in terms of the building project, in terms of getting the wall reestablished, in terms of protecting Jerusalem, in terms of uh, the people being able to move back into uh, into town. Of course, they've already started back, uh, hundred, or not hundreds of years, but nearly 100 years earlier with Zerubbabel and uh, the first uh, return. But what we see here in chapter 8 is we're going to see sort of a transition. Um, now the groundwork has been laid. All of the, the construction is is coming to a close, but we're going to begin in chapter 8 with the, the second really half of the book that's going to be talking not just about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but now renewing the covenant. And so now it's going to become less of a practical um, less of a building campaign, more of a uh, more of a theological, more of a spiritual uh, campaign to rebuild the people of God. So basically, it's it's much like now. I don't want to make a one to one. Sure, a church rebuilds 
they 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 build a new building. They go yeah. there and they they have kind of the okay, we're gonna plan it. We got the we got the pie social after, we got the the kids' games, I mean just your typical uh churchy stuff. And now the question comes, and this is something I think all pastors I have not done this, but I grew up in this, where a new building gets done, is completed, and the question is, now what? So right. it's it's similar in that way. The question is in chapter eight, in this turning point, this transition, as you said, is now what? Now, I want to ask this question before we begin. Sure. You said renew the covenant. So it's renewed. So what was the covenant or what is the covenant for the well, people? Well, so this is the covenant of Sinai, right? This is the covenant. Um, specifically, uh, it's going to refer, the text is going to refer to the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded to Israel. And so this is referring to the Torah. This is referring to the, the Pentateuch, the first five books, the books of Moses, Um and all of the uh, the covenant relationship that's built into that. But the specific relationship here um, is the Sinai covenant in which God says, um, I am the Lord, your God, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will be your God. You will be my people. And so then he delineates and he lists out as my people, this is what life looks like. And he gives them the commandments. He gives them um, all of the different uh, regulations, all of the different uh, feasts, all of the different um, uh, the the the, the uh, ceremonies, and all the different kinds of things like that. So this is what they're stepping back into um, after a couple of generations of being op- apart from it, and even more because uh, it wasn't just the exile that they were away from the the covenants of God, uh, but really uh, as as Israel and as Judah uh, fell away, uh, you know, I mean they're. They had generation upon generation of disobedience, and we're going to see a, a tearful reaction when the people actually hear the word of God in just a few minutes. In Second Kings chapter twenty-two, we went we went through First and Second Kings, and chapter twenty-two, it's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, it just didn't happen during the exile, but before they went into exile, yeah. uh, they found the book of the law. And so, who knows how long they went, but it definitely was something where they said even before David that this book of the law did not appear to be used in a, a faithful way, which right. was interesting for us to be able to read in Second Kings. So it makes you realize there was no, quote, golden age. Yeah. And what the point is to be able to know that they got back to the word of God. As you said, when the word of God is taught faithfully and preached faithfully, um, the Holy Spirit bears fruit. And that comes out sometimes in emotions, which is okay for us Lutherans to have a few emotions when we hear this word of God. So I don't know how I feel about that, but we can continue on. <laughs> right. I'm going to hold it back right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you ready to start, boss? Yes, sir. Okay. So let's begin. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, studying the word of God. As uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, we'll just do the first verse. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So right now, um, this is starting off on a good foot. What's yeah. what's what's so good? What's great about this first verse? Well, the 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 great thing, uh, first of all, just uh, to give a little bit of this this verse provides us with a setting. Right. Um, I don't know if you remember back to when they taught us how to write stories, but you always want to introduce your setting. <laughs> when is when and where is what taking place? Right. And so this is the Watergate, uh, which is uh, we believe it's on the eastern side, uh, closest to the Jordan River, um, also near the Gihon Spring. Uh, this is one of the places where they would have gotten water into the city of Jerusalem. And so it's a it's a place that you have to go. 
right, within the city. Uh, but the thing that's really incredible is that uh, this little phrase, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law that the Mo- uh, of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So the fact that they told Ezra, they said, we want to hear why we are here. That's huge. Uh-huh. Uh, the fact that you've got um, Israel, who's, uh, you know, they, they know that they have this heritage. They know that they're supposed to be in in Jerusalem. They know this is the city of their ancestors, the city of their God. But when they get there, they say, tell us about this. They, they want to understand why they have just spent these 52 days building this, this, uh, this wall. They want to understand why it was a big deal for them to come back. They know it's a big deal, uh, but adding understanding um, is, is a, it's a big deal, right? And I think that that's something that's instructive for us as well is, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time, uh, us pastors, uh, spend a lot of time trying to convince people that coming to church is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Right. And yeah. the, the fundamental question is why? Right. Um, you can't trick people into coming to church. You can't bribe people into coming to church. Um, it really has to start with uh, why on earth are we even here? And if you do a good, a good enough job of explaining, like saying the why, I don't even want to say explaining, but um, simply preaching Christ and him crucified and, and risen and, and returning. Right. When you actually lay that out in front of people, um, that actually draws people so that they say, man, I wish the church was open more. I wish we could have church services, you know, three times a week. And you just say, yeah, that sounds great. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm waxing a little bit here uh, in terms of just, you know, a uh, pastor's uh, wildest dreams, but you know, that's, we're on the radio. It's okay. <laughs> well, and it is, it is interesting because there have been moments in ministry and I've mentioned this before on this, on this study where you're kind of talking with people like on a, a home visit, um, a hospital visit and so forth. And I did have one particular saint, now sainted uh, individual basically say, are you going to read the Bible yet or what? You know, <laughs> let's get down to business. Let's get, let's do what you called us to do. And that's exactly what they're doing um, with Ezra. I love how Ezra is introduced here. Um, basically they know his role. They know what he is to do. By the way, Ezra, you're invited, but bring your Bible with you is kind of <laughs> speaking, right? So yeah. and, and here are the thoughts on the context and the background, the setting, as you said. No, I, I think that this uh, this is helpful. But uh, you notice in verse one, uh, he's referred to as Ezra the scribe. In verse two, he's Ezra the priest. And so, I mean, there is some overlap in terms of the fact that he is called to be the the man of the word, um, and he is also called to be the man of the Old Testament sacrifice. He's he's the, he's the guy who's uh, who's here to uh, to be God's man on the ground uh, to bring word and sacrament to these people. Well, let's continue to read more about Ezra, verses 2 and 3. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, Pastor, you 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 said this, um, and I just wanted to see if you had more information on it. But it says the book of the law. What was the book of the law? Yeah. So, as I understand it, you can correct me because you've you've been studying this a lot more than I have recently. Uh, but as I understand it, I mean, the book of the law is is 
it can be understood in a broad sense that this is the the full blown Torah, the books of Moses. Um, but it it's likely here uh, this is more the condensed version, which we would call Deuteronomy. Right? Mm-hmm. This is the the second giving, the the Deutero, the second giving of the law, um, and that this is uh, th- it's kind of. Deuteronomy, if, if you read it right next to um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Deuteronomy sort of recapitulates everything that's been before. There's some unique uh, material in it as well. Uh, but Deuteronomy is sort of, if you're going to sit down and you're going to read through the law of the Old Testament, um, Deuteronomy is sort of it. And so I, I'm not exactly sure if I'm willing to come down one way or the other, uh, that he sits down and he he starts it in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or if he just simply starts reading Deuteronomy and selections uh, from it. It was one of those, uh, what we've learned over and over again um, from yeah. the uh, from this book is more than likely that is true. <laughs> can't say for sure. And it's fun because we had uh, Dr. Joel Heck on oh, to yeah. study my chapter four. And did you have him as a professor? Yeah, I did. Uh, he taught, uh, he taught a CS Lewis elective that I took yep. uh, back in yep. college. It was awesome. Yep. And yeah, so he's a, he's a great professor, very, just knows his scriptures very well. And, and when I spoke to him personally, he kind of said, yeah, more than likely. Yeah, we're we're in we're in good company. And you know, as we look at those verses, what's what is striking, and you highlight this in your notes, is that men and women and all who could understand um, were there hearing the word of God. Any thoughts on that? Right. Yeah. And it's any time that you see something like this, like you have in verse two, where uh, and in verse three, where you're gonna you have it reinstated, right? Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And then in verse three, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, anytime that you have that that re-emphasis, I think that it's there so that we really just kind of zone in on those words that we home in on them and just say, it's important that this is sort of a crash course in God's word. This is not something that is simply being spoken to the men and then men as the head of household, you go home and you know disseminate the information to your to your uh, wife and to your children. Uh, but instead, this is for everybody, everybody who can understand, come out and hear this. And this is it's not unique in the scriptures, uh, but it's certainly something that our attention should be drawn to. Uh, and then the end of verse three says, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So these folks are zoned, like they're, they're in the zone here listening. Uh, they are tuned in uh, to the word of God, which is exactly how we should be, right? Which would be, just think about how, like you said, kind of a utopian view of, oh, that'd be so great to have that. But it'd be quite <laughs> to see that these people are so hungry for the word of God because they saw God uh, help fulfill what they were called to do and get the wall and to build the wall. And they did. And, and it was, um, I know, uh, pastor Murby, uh, as we went through chapter three, which was another challenging chapter, to be honest, is talk about names and just information. He was talking about how that wall was not just a protection, but it's a sign of the shame of their unfaithfulness in the past. And now that, you know, now that they were building it, there was some hope and now it is built. So there definitely is, they see hope surrounding them literally. And now they want to find out more about this hope, which is what we obviously pray for in our own churches as well. So any last thoughts? No, that sounds great to me. We're good with verse three. All right, let's keep moving on. Now we're speaking of names. Now we'll get to a whole bunch of names. So verses four, and we will go through verse eight, verses four through eight. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform and they, that they had made for the, for that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matahiah, Shema, 
Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mazaiah. On the right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Heshom, Hashabadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it to all it opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kalkalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites. Help the people to understand the law while the people remain in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So we have a lot of names. We can kind of get lost in the details. <laughs> Look at that. But really, what's going on here, Pastor? Right. So really, uh, what's at the center of this text is the fact that um, you do have some kind of order set up to the service, right? It's, uh, it's you know, they, they ask Ezra to bring the book of the law and to read it to them. Um, and then they decide, well, we're going to do this in an orderly fashion. And so they build this platform that uh, can hold apparently, uh, I, I guess, about one, about 14 people. <laughs> and uh, so Ezra stands up here. Um, and I think it's four out of the, the group that's named first, uh, they come up later as, um, as leaders of the people. We're going to see that in a couple of chapters in chapter 10. Um, and then everybody else is is kind of standing up there. Um, they are uh, maybe unofficial leaders or leaders of tribes, uh, but they're standing up in this place uh, to sort of say, yes, we're with him. We, we agree with what he's saying, right, as a sign of solidarity. Um, and so Ezra opens the book, um, and then he's standing up high above them. And uh, as he opens it, all of the people stand, uh, right? And and this it should be reminiscent to a lot of the folks listening, uh, because what happens when we read the, the gospel of our Lord? Lord, well, the people stand and sing Alleluia, right? There's this this reverence and this respect that comes from uh, uh, from the reading of God's word. So, go ahead, well, go ahead. I was going to say it reminds me of what I said about teachers. I said, "Pray the Lord of the harvest, provide teachers," and you said, "Amen." And not yeah. only did they say "Amen," but they said it twice. So, right. what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean. When uh, when he blesses God and the people say Amen and lift up their hands, uh, you get the impression that uh, that the Holy Spirit is working here. You get the impression um, that uh, the word is hitting its mark um, and that the people are responding in faith. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, this this is a text that. Um, I, I first got uh, acquainted with it, very uh, well acquainted with it on my vicarage uh, mm. when my vicarage supervisor uh, was, he was just, he loved the fact that uh, these people, uh, they were, they were standing and they wanted to hear the word of God. Um, and yeah, they, they were here for six hours, right? Uh, right? From early in the morning until midday, uh, they were standing and they were listening to the word of God. And uh, kind of like we've talked already before, um, there is just this, um, this desire amongst, uh, we who, uh, are, you know, uh, the, the word of God is kind of our bread and butter as pastors. Um, there's this desire that, uh, that our prayers would be answered and that people would, would love the word of God. 
right? I don't think that there's anything that a pastor would want more is that people would love God's word. And that's exactly what you see here. And this is just, it's, it's a touching uh, moment really. Yeah. You can definitely smile on your, on, I guess you'd say the behalf of Ezra that he's reading this and, and not only are they hearing it, but they're making sure that other people understand it, that it's not just, I preach a sermon or he read the book of the law. They heard and go, Oh, I get it now. Because we all know that the first time parts of the scriptures hit you, you're like, I don't get it. Like what yeah. is going on? And that's why we have thy strong word or sharper iron. And while you have your churches and your pastor and teachers and everybody, I don't get it. So we continually teach with Christ at the center. And that's what's happening. Not only is he, is he reading this, but people are making sure that other people um, understand. So that's the second part, I think. Not only do they love the word of God, but they're willing to help others understand um, the, the love of the Lord. And, and what he's done for them and what he continues to do for them. That's one thing that struck me in these verses as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, we've got standing, we've got lifting up hands. And then uh, towards the end of verse six, we've got bowing their heads and worshiping mm-hmm. with their faces to the ground. So you, you see that this is a whole body kind of, uh, kind of worship experience. This isn't just, um, you know, you sit in your pew and you are entertained for 57 minutes or however it goes. Um, there, there is, there is a liturgical movement uh, of reverence uh, within these couple of verses, which I, I just think that's kind of neat. That's that's stuff that I'm curious about. And so it, uh, I like to see it when it's in the scripture and it says, oh, that's that's why we do what we do. OK, good. Um, and then in, go ahead. Sorry. I keep well, I, I, I agree 100 percent because it is something where there is a physicalness to the worship, not only sacramentally, yeah. as we believe in worship, um, but also that up that that that. God gives us all of our senses and still still takes care of them, you know, language in the catechism. And that's why, why would that not be part of our worship experience? No, I mean, I don't know. And then that's the thing is if people wanted me to start dancing, that would just be awful in every single way, <laughs> a way that we do worship. And, and it's, it's done in simple ways, but yet it shows reverence. It shows who we worship and, you know, we don't worship each other. We worship the Lord and have a place to do so. So yeah, I like to think about that'd be an interesting study. So anybody, any of our listeners, if you want to study the the physicalness of worship, or I don't know how you <laughs> define that, that'd be quite a fascinating study. And um, yeah, send it to us when you get done. So anyways, sounds, sounds like a good uh, good paper assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Two pages and have it to us by next week. Anyways, yeah, single space, please. A single space. <laughs> any any other thoughts on these verses, Pastor? First yeah. eight. So verses seven and eight, again, you've got another big long list of names here, and we're told these are the Levites who are helping people to understand the law, right? And this is, this is a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture of the way that the church works where you, you have, um, the pastor, but then you have other people in the congregation who are actually, you know, in a way they are, they're licensed, they're allowed, they're supposed to be helping out. They're supposed to be saying, oh, you know, uh, this is what this means. And this is this is how you understand that. Uh, and it's it's maybe a, we could say even a, a small miracle here um, that the Levites are actually able to do what the Levites are supposed to do. Right. right? Because not just uh, not just the people of, of Judah and of Israel had fallen away and forgotten the law, but the priests and the Levites too. And so you got a good one here with, uh, with Ezra, and then it sounds like you got some other uh, of these Levites with difficult to pronounce names for the most part. <laughs> You've got them uh, here who are ready to help. They're reading from the book um, and they're giving uh, people the sense. They're giving people the the understanding, um, the uh, the way of looking at it so that the people could understand the readings. This is good. 
It is, it is it is powerful stuff. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Nehemiah chapter eight with Pastor Dustin Beck, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Nehemiah chapter 8 with Pastor Dustin Beck. And as we have looked at these first eight verses, it's one of the one of the dangers for me, at least, is you hear that and you say, boy, you know, why isn't that happening at my church? Uh, they're listening to the word, they're teaching, they're doing their vocation. As you said, the Levites are doing that faithfully. And it can get overwhelming at times because you read this and you give thanks to the Lord, but also you're like, but that's not like it is for us. Any thoughts on how we filter that or how would you address somebody who who sees that and goes, well, how come that's not happening at Holy Cross Lutheran Church? What would you say? It is. Oh, no. <laughs> that wasn't the answer you were looking for. Um, I, I've, I've really become a fan of, of reminding people that we are, we are called to be walking by faith Christians and not walking by sight Christians. Uh, that's, that's something that I, I've started expressing to a lot of folks, um, is that we don't always get to see um, the glory we don't always get to see the excitement. We don't always get to see uh, when things go really well. Uh, but, you know, the way that it usually works is that other people will see that in us. Other people will look at us and they will they will say, wow, you you Christians, you know, you you have a, a, a different way of conducting yourselves. You know, um, I, I've never I'll never forget. There's been uh, a couple of funerals that I've been a part of where a large swath of the family was was not in the church. And uh to, to see their reaction and to have them come up afterwards and to say, I just don't understand you people and how, you know, the, the kind of joy that our family who goes to church and that you, their pastor has um, at a funeral service, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I, that's, I can understand that you don't get that, <laughs> you right. know? And so we, we have that opportunity to witness. But like I said, I think that a lot of times um, other people will see this before we see it if that makes a little bit of sense. Um, and so we're just, we're called to, to abide in Jesus's words. We're called to just, um, you know, kind of keep your nose to the grindstone there and, uh, and just trust in God's word. Um, and the, the rest will take care of itself. You know I mean? That this world is full of crosses. <laughs> that's, that's our experience. Um, empty tombs and, and glorification and all that kind of stuff. That's in the world that is to come. That's why we pray, come Lord Jesus come soon. Uh, but you know, that's, that, that that ought to, it doesn't always satisfy that answer or that question, uh, but that ought to satisfy it is to say that right now we're people who walk and live by faith, um, and that should be enough for us for now. That is great. And, and how it manifests is so um, all over the place as far as that. I think about this when I work with our young people and my own kids. I have four children, and, and, uh, and to be able to look back in my life, 
and I mentioned this in the program again too. I, you know, as my listen, our listeners realize, I repeat myself quite a bit. But one of the realities is, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I realize now how much those people in that congregation were praying for me and my sister. Yeah. And so when I'm able to see some of them and they're, well, they're joyful to see me and some people might not be, but <laughs> the people who are, joyful <laughs> to see me again, I, I had a moment where I was able to see like 10 ladies in a restaurant in my old hometown. And at one time from that church and they all knew who I was and they're joyous to see me. And then I kind of hit, hit me over the head. I was like, wait, these are ladies because they were there for a Bible study for the, you know, their own Bible study. And I was like, these are ladies that prayed for me growing up. These are wow. ladies ordination. I mean, these are the ladies that did all of that. And that's where you're able to see the joy. I mean, I didn't see that at 18. You know, I didn't see that at even before at my ordination. I didn't see it till I was almost 40 years old. Um, but that is kind of like that, that goes by that, you know, walking by faith, not by sight. And sometimes God gives us a little bit of the mentoring and the joy that you see that the Lord gives to us here on this side of eternity. So that I keep going back to that one because it just means so much to me. So yeah, that's great. You know, thoughts before we move on. No, no, that's, that's fantastic. I love that. Verses 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, The day is holy to the Lord Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our, to, to our Yahweh, and do not be grieved, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they understood the words that were declared to them. This is where joy comes in the morning, the psalmist says. I mean, this yeah. is where you just, I mean, you can't help but smile when you read these verses. So what do what you find in these verses? Well, the, those very last couple of words are so profound. They had understood the words that were declared to them. Um, I, I think that um, if a pastor could get what they wanted every Sunday, it would be that the people understood the words that were declared to them. Because a lot of the time we just don't know. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's the happy ending to this uh, to this text. I know we've got more text to cover, uh, but yeah, there's um, this understanding that comes. And so we can rejoice in that. But I uh, we do need to look at uh, at verses nine and ten before we get too far in. Um, it's interesting to me that the people are weeping. The people were crying as they heard God's word. Um, and you don't know necessarily if they're crying on the one hand because, um, you know, of, of they had this wonderful covenant. God said, I will be your God and you can be my people, you know, and they have just completely trashed the thing. They've completely forgotten about it. You know, think about, uh, you know, uh, a couple of, uh, you know, guys our age uh, who are standing here hearing this perhaps for the first time and just, um, you know, that would bring tears to your eyes. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me. I had no idea that this was what it meant to be an Israelite. I had no idea that this was it meant what it meant for Yahweh to be my God. And so there you can understand it in that way. 
you can understand it uh, in the in the uh, in the idea or in the in terms of the fact that um, uh, you know when your sins are brought before you, uh, when you hear the law of God, um, sometimes you do have that reaction where you know your eyes begin to well up and and your your you know you begin to cry because well that's just that's how much need of a savior you've got, um, and then the other one you know is maybe it's this is just joy because this is. I mean, for them, this is the promised land, right? I mean, they've they've arrived back in the place that God had set aside for them. Now they're here and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is listening to God's word. He's telling them why they are here, and it's because of his covenant. And if that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, you know, after a lifetime in captivity, in, in exile, coming back home and being able to do what your forefathers, your forebearers did, you know, um, I don't know what will bring a tear to your eye. Um, that's not to say that you have to cry, but it certainly seems as if that's the case here in Nehemiah 8 as they were. <laughs> and and there's there's joy um, to be together in that way. And I think we get a little bit of a glimpse of that after, well, I can't say after, but, you know, as we are moving forward with COVID, I should probably say, and and people, it was a year ago last Sunday that our church was the first time we were able to gather together oh, wow. um, as a whole congregation. Yeah. And it was, it was strange, but I, I just remember one of the ladies, you know, told me and said, it's just so wonderful to be here. Yeah. And I don't think anyone was crying. Of course they had a mask on, so I'm not sure, <laughs> but, but you definitely got that fee- the the joy of just being there, you know, put me to shame, you know, cause right. there's, let's be honest, sometimes you're like, I don't know if I want to go back. I mean, how's this going to happen? What's going to, you know, how much do people really want to come back when you kind of have those downer moments? But there they were just so excited to be back. People, we had one couple in their nineties who, they were the first ones in the door, you know, for Sunday back. So small glimpse of this for them, it was, it was a long time since they had been worshiping and now they were able to worship again. So absolutely. Um, well, just, you know, you, you brought up the COVID stuff and that was, uh, it was interesting, um, you know, down here, we're a rural congregation. We, um, we were able to open up a couple of months, uh, before a lot of the other places were, um, and it, it kind of, it struck me because there were different things that hit different people differently. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. There were some people, like you said, that were just, you know, they were beside themselves to be here. Right. And, and we've our, our church is blessed. Uh, we, we don't actually have locks on the church doors. And so people could come and go as they pleased. And, and I would routinely see people uh, for the couple of months that we were shut down. People would come in and just sit and pray, uh, which was amazing. Right. But um, the, the thing that kind of got me was um, a couple of months ago now, um, a couple of months ago, we went back to shaking hands after church. And we had done kind of the modified like fist bumps and, you know, touched elbows and waved at each other and things like that. Um, and going back to shaking hands was it was tremendously impactful for a lot of the folks in the congregation. Uh, but the thing that finally got me and I actually did well up a little bit. I'm not an emotional person at all. Uh, the thing that got me was uh, about a month ago, we uh, fi- we finally returned back to the communion rail. We've been doing kind of a, a modified kind of walk past, you know, very small tables, individual families, things like that. Um, and now we've actually returned to the rail. And uh, one of our members uh, who had uh, lost his uh, his wife a couple of years ago had said something about, um, 
it's nice to be back at this rail uh, where we knelt at our wedding, where we received the Lord's body and blood together. Um, and yeah, it's just nice to be back. And I, that just, that, that pushed me over the edge, you know, it's, um, there's something beautiful about, uh, about the place. And again, back to before, as we talked about the actions of kneeling or bowing, the actions of, of being there in God's presence. Um, and there's something about that that's, uh, that's special and it can tug at your heartstrings. And as you said, in our introduction today, that's not a bad thing for Luther. Sometimes you get to have feelings. Uh, just don't hang your faith on those feelings because feelings are um, they're uh, transient. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Um, feelings are uh, are a part of who we are emotionally. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we feel about God's love for us because he loves us, whether we're excited about it or whether it's gotten a little stale in our hearts. So. As we continue, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, and you know, it, now we know we won't get many tears out of Pastor Beck or too many. Yeah. Of them, that's that's okay too, but it does happen, and we can give thanks for that because he says, "For the joy of the Lord is your strength." Yeah. Uh, what I find find interesting is that there's joy there, and the joy doesn't stop. But in verse eleven, this says, "Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved." Uh, they call. Yeah the people saying, you know, be quiet uh, for this day is holy and do not be grieved. So there, there definitely is that opportunity of a calm um, joy, a calm reality, because what we're doing here is, I would say this is part of a reverence to this. Uh, have you done any study on, on, did you find anything on what is being said there? Because I found that interesting. It's kind of like the joy of the Lord. And then they calm the people down. Any thoughts on that? Um, just uh, the, the thing that I uh, kind of grappled onto here is that, um, this it, and they make a specific point out of telling us when this is taking place. Remember, we were talking all the way back at the beginning uh, of the of the book. We were talking about the setting, right? So this is the first day of the seventh month, um, and that is uh, the feast of trumpets. Um, that is a feast uh, of a, a holy day um, in which people are supposed to not necessarily look back, but they're supposed to look forward. They're supposed to rejoice in the Lord, um, that he is the one who has won our battles for us, that he is the one who carries us through. Um, but no, I didn't do uh, specific research into this kind of quiet, restrained joy, but I think I like it as a uh, as an anti-emotion Lutheran type <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 good to qualify maybe not anti-emotion but just controlled emotion i don't know yeah, it's probably maybe <laughs> background too it's like okay stop being so excited you know calm down lutheran calm down anyway you know i had an emotion once and i still don't know how i feel about it exactly yeah it's good stuff so but there's definitely a reverence of saying this day is holy right and that their way to eat and drink and make rejoicing so obviously they're calming did not stop the rejoicing. And why did they rejoice? Because they understood what was declared to them. I mean, that's just phenomenal. It's like, it's like when you, when you have that new revelation, whatever it might be, it's not even that you didn't know it before. It's kind of like, you know, there's times in life where you're like, you really just grasp onto the gospel in a way that's different. Um, right. But it doesn't mean you never understood it. It means that it really just hits home for whatever reason, or a, a member tells you that sermon really hit home today. It's not that they didn't listen to other sermons, is that they know that they it just kind of popped open in their minds and realized, wow, that's amazing. And that's like right. it's on steroids. It yeah. seems the situation. And, and I mean, it, it's almost kind of a similar vein as when you say that, like, what's the difference between praying the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, um, before you are yourself a father and after you have become uh -huh. a father? 
right? Yeah. All of a sudden, it has so much, I don't want to say more meaning, but just a different meaning. Um, because you actually understand what it is like that I would give my life for this little one, right? And then all of a sudden, it, it, it kind of clicks. Oh, and God is our father. And that's how he feels. You know, it's just, it's like you're saying, it's, it's not, I wouldn't call it, you know, uh, you know, further revelation, but just sometimes the word of God hits you in different ways. Um, and that's wonderful. That's the spirit at work. You know, this is, this is good stuff. So as we look at that, um, the day is holy. There was a song I know that would be played at the church I was at on uh, my field work. And they would say, we are standing on holy ground. Now that can be very misunderstood, but I think it's a good line for us to have when we go to worship. Yeah. Any thoughts on, on, um, for them, they knew they were on holy ground. The book of the law had been opened. They found out all the glories and riches of what the Lord had done. They saw it revealed to them in the wall, but also revealed to them in the word. And so I think this, the day is holy. We are on holy ground. Any thoughts on that in comparison for us today? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can't talk about um, uh, about a day being holy without thinking of the Sabbath, right? Um, honor the Sabbath day in order to keep it holy. Um, you can't think about that without thinking about holiness. And 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 Luther, to his credit, um, he understands the Sabbath, the day of rest, not primarily uh, about refraining from activity, but about uh, it being sanctified, it being set apart, it being holy and special. And what is the thing that makes everything holy? Well, it's it's God's word. And so you, you hit upon it in your question right there, um, mm -hmm. that this is, you know, it's in the reading of the law. That is what made this day holy, right? And so that's the same thing that makes Sundays holy for Christians, right? It's not that that particular day was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so that day is forever special or something like that. I mean, in a way of speaking, it is. But, you know, what about the person that, you know, is a firefighter and they work every Sunday? Well, they find a place that offers church services Saturday evening, or they find a, a church that offers services on Wednesdays, right? Uh, because the thing that makes the day holy is God's word. And so that's really what we can take away from this. Uh, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Uh, they're saying this is God's word and this is for you, right? So we can rejoice in that as well. Uh, and I think that that, uh, that fits in well with your fieldwork congregations. Uh, oh. This is holy ground. Well, what makes it holy? Not that we dedicated it, not that we put a bunch of crosses up all over the place or that it says LCMS on the side of it or whatever it says, right? Uh, but the fact that God's word is going to be here. And, I, you know, I keep going back to um, the fact that the people were understanding why they were there. You know, that's what we've got to, that's what we've got to be able to teach and preach to folks is why you are here. And when you understand that you are here because this is the place that God has chosen to make his word available for you and also his visual word, the sacraments, right? Um, when you understand that, when you appreciate that, when you receive that by faith, um, well then, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You wouldn't be caught anywhere else. You know, this is the place I want to be. I want to encourage you, our listeners, exactly how Pastor Beck has been saying this, is when you go to church, maybe it's this weekend or you know, whenever you're able to receive these gifts, to remember these words today that the people gathered 
they, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes you need to tell your pastor, by the way, pastor come for dinner and bring your Bible. Maybe that's an idea you should oh, that do. That sounds like fun. Is that fun? Yeah. Can you imagine how much fun that would be? Um, and, and to be able, when you worship to remember, this is holy ground because when, when the, when the word is proclaimed, the sacraments are administered, this is holy ground it is God's righteousness. We had that, um, this past Sunday, uh, from yeah. Jeremiah 23, the Lord is our righteousness is is covering you and you're receiving the holy gifts. So just my encouragement when you go and maybe, I don't know, maybe we get a little bit, maybe there's to be some tears. Maybe there'll be some warning. Maybe Pastor Back will get a little emotional this Sunday. We'll see what happens, but we know it's holy because of the word of God. Any, any thoughts on that encouragement? I don't know if I'm going to cry, but we'll, we'll just have to see. <laughs> we'll keep moving on to the end of our chapter here in chapter 8, verses 13 all the way to the end, verse 18. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, that they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate, in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who'd returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days of Jeshua and the son of Nun to the day that the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So here, once again, it's kind of like, whoa, I didn't know that in the Bible. Okay, let's go do that was kind of the reaction. Right. What, what are they talking about? Feast of booths. And here's what we do. Any thoughts on that and on that um, mandate from the Lord? Well, of course, this is a camping trip. Right. This is I just got back from a vacation when I get to go camping for about two weeks. So this is right up my alley. You have the right guest on for this text. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the Feast of Booths, uh, it, it actually uh, comes to us uh, from uh, from the Old Testament. This is this is part of uh, Leviticus this is part of uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, this is what is given to them uh, as a reminder, an annual reminder um, that they wandered in the wilderness. Uh, for 40 years. They wandered around uh, and lived in tents. They were out in exile. They were out in a place where uh, God was waiting for the generation who had walked through the Red Sea, crossed on dry ground, but they did not have the faith to enter the promised land, right? Remember that whole scene? Um, and so those who had walked by sight, um, they are not permitted to enter the promised land. And so they all die in the wilderness. And now those who will be walking in and crossing the Red, uh, the Jordan River, rather, into uh, Canaan and to take possession under Joshua's leadership, those, those who are walking by faith, um, they lived in tents. And so now Israel, from now on, every year, seventh month, 15th day, uh, you guys are going to go and you're going to do the same thing. Uh, this is one of the uh, one of the feasts that has uh, sort of a pilgrimage attached to it. It's got some movement built into it. So you got to you got to go out 
into the wilderness. You got to live in a, uh, a little booth, a little tree that's uh, a little uh, uh, hut rather that's made out of sticks. Uh, do that for about a week. And uh, on the first and the last day, you're supposed to keep this solemn assembly, uh, very serious. But in the meantime, I mean, you're supposed to go out there and you're actually supposed to experience a little bit of joy, a little bit of celebration out in the woods, which to me just sounds great. <laughs> exactly. And it was all, I mean, it, it, it all comes together in a beautiful way that there was very great preaching because you have all those traditions, right? Yeah. All these, I got to do this, do this. It points you to the past, but all of it was drenched. I mean, it was just drenching in the word of God. It says day by day, first day to the last day, in case anybody wondered if there were any days that were missed, he read <laughs> the book of the law of God. I thought that was just because how easy is it for us? And I know I get into that where you just, okay, here you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And then you kind of, you just lose the main foundation of it all. But here, right. it just he <laughs> Nehemiah just it wraps it up perfectly by just saying, by the way, this was all drenched in the word of God. That's why right. they were rejoicing. It's sanctified by the word of God, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what makes the Feast of Booths the Feast of Booths, uh, is the fact that you would go out, and these guys especially, uh, the fact that they would go out and then Ezra would read to them every single day, that they would gain understanding. And you notice that uh, on the second day, uh, the heads of the fathers' houses, right? And so now you've now you've got not just the the priest, not just the Levites, uh, but now you and you you don't have that that wide open men, women, anyone who could understand that we had at the beginning of the chapter. Now it's the heads of the household, and they're taking their families out, um, and they're listening to the priests, they're listening to the Levites, right? And then they're studying the words of the law, and then they're disseminating that information back to their own households. I think I think it's a beautiful uh, way of of understanding what's going on here is to say that they're they're going off into their family groups to study God's word. They're hearing it from the priest and then they're discussing it at home uh, or in their booth and they're in their their nice Coleman tents if you will. That's right. I'm sure it was yeah and they had their little uh what do you call it little fire and they, oh, they yeah. all the all the ha they had a hammock oh man you can go on the whole list but that'd be oh, fun. Yeah. Be that's fun. good so pastor we have about two minutes left here as you look at this chapter there, there's a lot of um uh, themes that we could probably focus our attention on how would you sum up this powerful chapter in nehemiah yeah so i mean the as uh, the prayer that i uh, that i spoke at the beginning of the chapter uh kind of in intimated uh you know we, we are always familiar with this idea of hearing marking learning inwardly digesting uh the word of god um, but that that hunger and that thirst for the Word of God is evident. Uh, it's dripping from every single verse of this chapter. And I think that that's something that um, that we can aspire to. It's something that we can long for. Uh, when it when we don't experience it, that's, that's not something to get hung up on. Uh, but we can rejoice when we have those seasons where we just can't get enough of God's Word. When we say, um, you know, church was was meaningful to me today. Um, church, I, I really, I got a lot out of what the pastor said. Um, and like I said, that's not going to be every day, uh, but we have chapters like this in, Ezra, in Nehemiah, rather, chapter eight, that we can look at and we can say, God is faithful. He brings his people back for a purpose, and then he speaks his word to them, and by that word, he makes them holy. Uh, it's beautiful stuff when God builds it, and then God fills it with his word and makes it holy. And I think that's what we've got before us in chapter eight. Pastor Dustin Beck of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, given us God's strong word from Nehemiah chapter 8. Pastor Beck, thank you for being our guest. It's my pleasure.
Saints of our Lord, God's people gather around the word and prayer, and they learn something new. But not only that, it brought emotions, it brought feelings, and it refreshed them because they knew of the Lord's grace upon them. And this is what our Lord does for us. We gather around his gifts. We not only learn new things, but are refreshed by the grace on account of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go and receive those this weekend. Go and receive it from your church, from your pastor, and be refreshed because you are standing on holy ground. I'm your host, Brady Fenner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartal, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.